Warning, the following program is not for the weak-hearted. Those who are closed-minded, or in general, you're scared to learn what's behind closed doors. Here at Sapphire's Airplay, I want you to pour the wine. Grab somebody that you want to hold on to, or better yet, get the vibrations stimulated through your body. Get ready for one hell of an orgasm in five, four, three, two, one. What is up, all you sexy motherfuckers out there in Radio Land? It's your girl, Sapphire. And man, oh man. Okay, first of all, before I even introduce my guest, a lot of shit has happened. If you earbuds are following on Twitter and you woke up, oh, I don't know, Monday, Tuesday morning and found that you cannot find me, y'all can thank my stalker. Um, My stalker got me banned permanently for protecting myself because, uh, you know, the laws don't really protect folks who are being digitally harassed for five years. So earbuds, I'm asking for communal help. If any of you out there, especially those who are still following my Instagram, you may have seen me flood massively my feed with the fact that this fucker needs to go down. DM me, I will give you all the information, but communal help is greatly appreciated. If you know somebody directly at Twitter, please get at me while you still can. Sapphiresearplay at gmail.com. Ms. Radio Sapphire on Instagram. And of course, Sapphiresearplay on Instagram as well. Those are the only outlets you will find me. If somebody is taking Ms. Radio Sapphire on Twitter, that is not me. And fuck you for trying to take away a 15-year legacy. Now, with that said, with that said, we're going to get down and sexy This month is a lot of awareness months, but I am bringing this very, very special guest who was highly recommended by Jordan Donnell, who was on last month's um, Earplay episodes. And so you already know it's going to be a badass female on here. But I want to introduce you all to Rachel Z, also known as Lewd Dot and Loud, Lewd Dot and Dot Loud on IG, Rachel Z. Welcome, baby. Welcome. I'm so excited to be here. That's ridiculous with your harasser Girl, or your Twitter stalker. It, it's it's been going on for five years too long. Um, you know, we we've talked off air. You've done great work in sexuality. You are a former sex worker, or you're currently still a sex worker. Former sex worker. I dabble here and there. Yeah. Um, but but I would say primarily former and I specialized in lingam and prostate massage wow what wait 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 yeah. lingam you said lingam lingam is like essentially like tantric penis massage the two are like hand in hand so really like my specialty is dicks and buttholes love it oh my goodness yes. I'm gonna have to bring you back for a little special except I think we actually lined up a little something sexy for December, so I'm excited to have you even yes. come back, you know, so soon. It's gonna be great. <laughs> but we're gonna get down and dirty today to talk about breast cancer awareness, specifically because for you, you are a survivor yourself. I am. I was diagnosed in 2015, so almost six years ago, which like sounds crazy to say because sometimes it feels like it was like a lifetime ago, and then sometimes it feels like it's just so fresh and raw that it was like just yesterday happening. Walk us through that. You know, it's like I hear I hear stories of women, you know, 
losing their libido, you know, feeling that they're less than the woman that they are or just person because, you know, breast cancer can hit anybody. It doesn't matter what you identify as. You can be male, female, non-binary, you know, it is something that is being taken away from you. It's bad enough that the C word itself is so just a stigma you know, to people. And yeah, we've had shows and movies showcase cancer, but not so much breast cancer. It's kind of like breast cancer. It's, it's almost like it's never cool to highlight. No, I mean, well, yes and no. It is cool to highlight when you're talking about like breast cancer awareness month and like oh let's make some save the tata t-shirts because right like everybody loves titties right of course and so so it's cool then when it's really really sexualized but like actually when it gets down to like the the really having breast cancer like no not so much so being a survivor of six years and you've gone through multiple surgeries and types of surgeries that when I was even talking to you leading up to, you know, ideas of what to talk about, there were a lot of things that I did not know. I knew that, you know, women have mastectomies most, you know, I'm sorry, let me not just say females again. Individuals get their breasts removed. Some of them, you know, have their nipples removed. But then there's, you know, other forms of surgeries and the types of breast cancer, not to mention, as we bring it back to social media, I did not know this, but last year, October 20th, we're actually just a few days ago, um, a few days ahead of now, um, about a year ago, a nonprofit organization called The Breasties, um, who offers a support and you know, help group for those who are survivors or those who are going through it. Um, they were threatened with their Instagram platform being taken down because of the sexualization of breasts. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And like the biggest thing I think that like is so shitty about like breast cancer and breast cancer awareness is that like, you know, you have these breast reconstruction surgeries and they're not portrayed realistically. And I think that that's what sets so many women up for like really bad body images and having a hard time like grieving what has happened because all you see is like, all you see is like the Save the Tata stuff and then accounts like the breasties and, um, there's nipplea, which is like about free the nipple and boobs for prevention. They're always like trying to showcase realistic breast cancer reconstruction. And they're always subject to censorship and like threatened for accounts being taken down. And that's why on my personal account, I take every opportunity I can to show like the reality of what breast reconstruction really looks like. Absolutely. I just, it just baffles my mind that, you know, here we are 2021 and we're still offended by a woman breastfeeding, by a woman showing her struggle or any person showing their struggle right. with losing a breast. It is just a boob. It is just a, a it's just a boob. It's a medical thing. And 
the, the part that gets me so much is that like we sexualize everything and we use sex to sell everything, right? Deodorant, cars, shampoo, this, that, the other. Food. And you can go Carl's on. Jr. Come on yeah. now. Yeah. You can go on Instagram or Twitter or TikTok and find a thousand things in a less than a minute that are more sexually charged than breast cancer. Absolutely. But all of a sudden, it's a problem. It's a problem. It's an issue. I find it beautiful when I find individuals, especially a lot of women. I don't see a lot of men. I don't. I haven't seen personally non-binary folks do this. But I forgot the organization. But when I was interning years ago in San Francisco, there was this woman who basically did an organization where women who had mastectomies basically tattoo just art over their chest pieces and just Mm -hmm. display them or right when they were about to have their surgery of removal um she did body casings of these breasts to kind of memorialize almost Mm -hmm. like you know a kind of funeral if you will for these women i found that amazing because it's like yeah here's something that's so innocent And again, something that's so taboo at the same time. And you are giving people hope after their, you know, diagnosis. And I can't imagine myself like I love my breasts. My partners love my breasts. I can't. That's where I was at, girl. That's where I was at, girl. Like with my titties, like I legit had had boobs. Like I was the first one in any of my classes to grow boobs. Like I had these titties from like the fourth grade. And my mom always said, like, at, when I was in elementary school, I was embarrassed about them, right? And my mom always said, the more clothes you put over them, the bigger they're going to get. Oh. And little did I know, she was fucking right. And um, <laughs> they were giant. And I loved, I loved my boobs. I loved them. I keep a secret, like, uh, folder of old booby pics on my phone. Um of my old like memorialized boobs but i find that it's they're honestly they're really hard to look at um they're hard to look at because they don't look anything like that Mm -hmm. and i won't hardly ever show them to anybody because i don't want them to like make the comparison of like then versus now but i do keep a, a little a little memento folder of them. <laughs> is it only your own? And I mean, I love your honesty and your realness. And, you know, people can't really, in like, they could probably hear the joy that you have. But I really do like this rawness that you have. And admitting, you know, that you have this, like, memorial to yourself. And I can understand, you know, it's hard to look back at certain photos, you know, throughout the years. Like, yeah, we, we gain weight, we lose hair, you know, there's so many different body changes. But the fact that you even said it's hard for you to go back and look at your own body. I can't imagine waking up one morning, not seeing my nipples, not seeing the shape that I used to have or, you know, feeling that arousal like, oh, I, I got to wake up and send a, a titty pic to my partner. I can't even imagine. So it's really hard. It's really hard. And for a long time, for a long time, I've always been a porn junkie. And for a long time after I lost my natural breasts and had breast reconstruction, I was like so 
turned off by like the idea of porn because like I would see boobies in porn and like the way they jiggled and moved and stuff and I couldn't even I couldn't even to this day still I I collect a bunch of like nudes and sexually inappropriate stuff Mm -hmm. but um if boobies are too realistic in like a nude painting I can't I can't is it like like, it's "Mm, it's it's a trigger it's too triggering Mm -hmm. it's too triggering just get out of here with that Mm. I mean, so that that part's that part's hard. I was just about to ask, you know, when you look at other people other than yourself, or like if you're experiencing with partners, you know, again, it's something that's so innocent yet is so sexualized. Like we said, it's always in your face. You know, you'll walk mm-hmm. down the street, you see a nice pair of tits, and you're like, oh, I wonder, you know, it, what she's going through or what they're going through with their breasts, you know. Do they like where they're at? You know, you have mm-hmm. folks out there, like I know so many folks now who are getting breast reductions or breast removal and just, it, it just, it, it pains me sometimes to know that something that is so deemed inappropriate can be yet so triggering for the next individual. And especially during this time of the month, like you said, because of the fact that Target, Walmart, you go to Kaiser, you go to any hospital, it's save the tatas, save the titties, save the mammaries. These are life givers and da da da. And no one's being compassionate of the fact that, like, what if I don't have those anymore? What, what yeah. if, you know, I removed these for a reason because I needed to save my own life, my own identity? Mm hmm. Yeah. And then, like, even, even like in my situation, like, yeah, my natural breast got removed and I did do breast reconstruction. So, I mean, I do have breasts, but the breasts that are left are nothing like realistic breasts. And I am like, I am so unoffendable for the most part with like almost everything. But shit like that in October just sends me through the roof. And it just makes me so upset. And part of that is because, you know, there's no representation of what breast reconstruction really looks like. People think it's like a free boob job. I thought that, I thought that. And I felt like my original plastic surgeon didn't do much to dissuade me from that idea. So then when I woke up and I saw my body, I was like, oh, fuck this is not at all like augmentation there they were they were terrible looking and they didn't really look like boobs at that point there was all this extra skin they they just they looked terrible and i mean i'm in a place now where they look a lot better but this i mean I've gone through 11 surgeries to get where I'm at right now. How dangerous are these surgeries that one goes through? Like, how life-threatening can they be? Because I feel like when I hear women and other individuals who, you know, just even just to get a boob job, you know, the desire Mm -hmm. for it, it's like, I know porn stars that have damn near died on the table just getting them in only to get them removed because you know, the leakage, the popping. So the fact that you were kind of just forced to get these jobs because you have to save your life. Right. 
I mean, I could have gone flat there. I mean, there are so many options, which I think is really, really cool, honestly, about breast reconstruction. Because if you think about it, like if my grandma had breast cancer 20 years ago, 30 years ago, <clears throat> the only option would have been mastectomy and flat closure. That's it. What's the difference? Now, What's the difference for folks that are listening? Because people think that mastectomy is the only option. Flap closure is something fairly new to me. Um, learning about that, you know, what what are the okay, differences? So, okay, so when you have a mastectomy, you're you can do a single mastectomy or a double. A single means you're removing one breast. A double means you're removing two. And so basically, what that means is they go in and they scoop out all the breast tissue and you think breast tissue and you think like what outwardly projects right you think your titties mm -hmm. but what you don't realize is that like your breast tissue is in your armpit it's in your rib cage so they essentially go in and scoop all that out and then mm -hmm. your options from there are a flat closure. So a flat closure is when you go flat and you don't have any reconstruction done and they just close it up mm. and they, they try and do so in, in the most aesthetic way possible. And then as far as reconstruction, there are a lot of options. You can do implant reconstruction, which is what I did initially you can do and, and with implant reconstruction you can do single or double like so let's say you had a single mastectomy so like you still have your one good natural boob right and then they can go in and implant the other breast um and then there are all kinds of various flap procedures so what i did originally i had implants and I was never happy with them. I was never happy with them. I didn't like the way they looked. I didn't like the way they felt. And then they started getting recalled because of lymphoma. Oh, wow. And I was like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I've had cancer once. I'm not doing this again. Right. So I decided to do a flap procedure. And there are various types of flap procedures. You can do a deep flap, which is what I did, where they essentially took all of my belly and then recycled that material up into my breasts and made breasts from that. First of all, motherfucking science is amazing. All right. Let, let's yeah. not say that science is not amazing. The fact that you can naturally give yourself a nice little tummy to put on your titties, to put on your ass. I think that's the same. I feel like that's a little bit more safer. And I'm not going to judge you for that type of modification to make you get back to feeling you. Because it's a right. part of you. And it's such a weird spot to be in as like as a breast cancer survivor, because sometimes, you know, like with my implants, I wasn't happy with them. And people would say things like when I would express that I wasn't happy with them, people would say things like, well, at least you're alive and da 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 da, -da. <sighs> And so then I felt really vain. I felt really vain. And, but, but it's not, and, and the thing is like with insurance and stuff, these types of surgeries are not considered cosmetic. Wow. 
Interesting. Because you have a right to have your body restored to its previous, like if I was just like, it didn't, if we factored breast cancer out and I just wanted a lift or a augmentation or a reduction, those things are cosmetic. Mm -hmm. But once you've like lost your breast, then they fall into a different category. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't even consider my breasts sex breasts anymore. I consider them the miracle of modern medicine. I have to write that down because, wow. Um, first of all, I don't that's even consider nice... them sex boobies anymore. <laughs> wow, miracle. Okay, so. Wow. So essentially, <laughs> like, it took my belly, and. I mean, this is kind of graphic. Oh, we get we can get down and dirty. Okay. They know. This is kind of graphic, but so essentially, what happens is they take your stomach and they cut all your stomach fat out. And my incision is probably twenty eight inches. So I mean, more of my belly and hips are cut than not. Wow. Um, and that part is no joke. Okay, that shit is terrible from a recovery standpoint um but essentially what they do is they take all that out and then they like kind of fillet the skin off of that layer and then they use all the fat and the tissue and they just build it up and build it up and build it up and it's a microsurgery so it's done like under those little magnification glasses you know and so they're redoing all the blood vessels and suturing all the blood vessels and then and then your boobs become your breasts or I mean your belly becomes your breast essentially and then um you have a bunch of drains and when you're in the hospital they come in every hour to do um to make sure that they are getting blood supply because if the if the fat doesn't get blood it dies. Wow. Because it is a living so, or it's living. So. Yeah. Yeah, it dies. So um there are a lot of risks in that regard when you're talking about like a flap procedure because if for some reason your body your blood vessels don't hold or you know, there it there is a lot of risk as far as like wound closures and fat necrosis and it not working. And then once you do that, there's only so many other places from your body that you can take from. I was really lucky in that regard. I didn't have any healing issues, um, but I do belong to a lot of um, dip flap support groups where I see a lot of really gruesome things like wound vacs and six, eight, 10 months open wounds and, and healing issues and necrosis and dead skin and stuff like that. So, I mean, there are a lot more risks involved Mm -hmm. with a flap procedure, whether we're talking about a belly flap, they do a lat flap where they take from your back. They do a tug flap where they take from your thigh And then, and I think there's another flap procedure, but I'm not, I didn't really give that one a go because they try and do belly first and then like 
yeah, go work their way into we'll other see what, options. Yeah, see what your other options are. What since the fact that you said that you go to support groups, has there any has there ever been backlash due to the type of procedures that you have chosen? Because I feel like personally there might be, you know, individuals out there who may feel like, well, how come she got this and I'm over here struggling every day of the week and I'm still not back to where I'm feeling or the fact that you know some people think it's like taking the easy route out instead of just owning it the fact like hey I don't have my boobs anymore because there might be that backlash too I think that yeah there is a lot of that within within the breast cancer community because when I first started going to when I first started going to support groups, like before I found the young adult cancer community, because it is quite different having any type of cancer as a 30 year old, 35 year old versus an 80, 75, 80 year old. It's, it's just different. And um, so when I first started going to breast cancer support groups, I was the youngest person there wow. by like a solid 25 years. By the way, how so, old were you on your first diagnosis? I forgot to ask that in the beginning. I was 35. And you're how old now? I'm 41 now. You look amazing, by the way. Thank you. I say cursing and Diet Coke are my secrets <laughs> to youth. But on the opposite of that, when people say, how did you get cancer? I also say cursing and Diet Coke. So, <laughs> I mean, take it for what it is. But yeah, when I first started going to support groups, like the women there were so much older than me and they were really kind of mean about wow. like the idea of breast reconstruction because, you know, for 60, 70 year old women, they, for the most part, were like, whatever, I'm done with my titties. They right. had a good life. Like, it's not a big deal. But, and, and there was a lot of like judgment for me wanting to do reconstruction because they just couldn't understand it from like a younger woman's point of view do you think it's also because of the fact that you know how modern medicine works everything you know it takes years and years of advancement and these were options that at the time weren't available do you think yeah, it's also yeah, that, too, that disconnect i think there's definitely that and within that idea there are some people within the breast cancer community who flat wouldn't be their choice Mm. if there were other options Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of different factors you know like some people want to do breast reconstruction but can't because they their skin was too damaged from radiation because they're not healthy enough because their cancer is too close because all these other reasons so I mean it is such a personal decision um such a personal decision that I think it there's kind of a tricky dynamic to that to um not feel any particular way about what someone else chooses I have another question um do you feel that personally because I, I don't know, I, my mom's a nurse. I come from a long generation of nurses and um, 
I always felt that when I asked them this, do you think that we wait too late to start getting checked? Be- yes. Yes, absolutely. And, and, you know, part of that is like health, you know, you're not even like medical professionals don't even recommend you getting a mammogram until you're 40. Yeah. And that's what pisses me off. Cause I, I had this conversation with my mom, um, actually not too long ago. I think this was right around the time that, um, we reached out to each other to have you on and I had asked my mom I was like mom I know I'm like 32 and I know they say you know 40 is the age but I'm like what if I start feeling lumps now why should I have to wait to get my boobs pressed like I'm scared to get checked but at the same time it's like okay you have sexual you have sex advocates out there you have you know modern sex health workers out there that are now seeing the complete opposite like get checked now oh by the way if you are a man if you have a penis out there you might not have tits but you too can get breast cancer mm-hmm. my it, it's my biggest frustration because it's like i feel that in the medical field sometimes we wait too late to get checked for certain things. I have friends who have had lumps in their breasts. Luckily weren't cancerous, but at the same time, it's like, well, damn, you can have lumps in your breasts at 12 years old. And you can be living with this for years. Yeah, and then and then then what? Like I think that there's this like kind of nonchalant attitude about um, because medical professionals are saying, you know, you don't need mammograms till you're 40. Um, and I think there's this kind of nonchalant attitude around like self-breast exams and getting screening and getting checked. I I wish that I could say that I was doing self-breast exams, but I wasn't. Yeah. I found my lump like so many other women that I know in the shower. Wow. And... And honestly, when I first felt it, it felt like um, I couldn't feel it like the other side of it, but it felt kind of like a golf ball in my boob. It was really, really hard. And but honestly, when I first felt it, I blew it off as a work Mm. injury. I thought because at the time I worked at a bar and I was always like carrying 50 pound buckets of ice and moving kegs around. And I honestly thought I hurt myself. And so from like the moment I felt it, I waited two or three weeks for it to get better before I got it looked at. Oh my goodness. Because I didn't, I, I didn't know anything about breast cancer. Even when I started treatment, the only thing I knew about cancer, I never, I had never met someone in my life, in real life. Mm-hmm who was going through cancer treatment. The only shit that I knew about it was from TV and movies. Which most people, yeah, which most people do. And I'm glad that you answered that question because also I was going to ask, you know, most of the time when people have, you know, cancer diagnosis given to them, it's mostly, well, what's your family history with cancer? You know, Mm -hmm. do you have family members that were diagnosed with breast cancer? I do have a really strong family history of cancer on my mom's side. Mm-hmm. Um, but my grandma, my mom's mom, had breast cancer 
Um, but she, she developed it way late in life and she was already on the way out from other, other issues. Um, but my, on my mom's side, there's a lot of male cancers, Mm. prostate cancer, testicular cancer. Um, and then there's a pancreatic cancer. So I do have a strong family history of it on one side. And because of that, I did some genetic testing after after the fact and that was when i decided to have a mastectomy because i just couldn't get right with the 80 percent risk rate for a reoccurrence i wanted to keep my natural breasts right i did and i don't even care that that was vain um i loved them and i wanted to keep them that was my that was something that i wanted to do from the start but then once I started treatment and once I found out like I was sitting at an 80% risk rate, if I didn't do the double mastectomy, I just, I just couldn't justify yeah. keeping the boobs for like this really high reoccurrence rate. Mm. I just didn't think I would ever be able to get past to like, can I trust my body? Yeah. When did you start becoming comfortable with sex again when did you find yourself like or are you not you know where where do you stand with um, sex now? i i'm in a weird place with sex right now um because of the belly incision is it, it's very large and there are quite a few hard fat necrosis and scar tissue not that are like just right above my puss mm-hmm. and they're they're deep right so when something's in there it it, it feels uncomfortable mm-hmm. now I'm hoping I'm hoping that this last surgery I have scheduled in October or I mean in December they the intention is to remove those and as long as new scar tissue doesn't form, I should be good. Yeah. Sorry about that, guys. Somebody just revved up their engine talking about sex, and that's it. They revved it up. <laughs> right? They was like, okay. All right. Um, so I'm in a kind of a weird spot now from it just because it's, like, kind of painful. Mm-hmm. Um, but after my initial diagnosis and then from my initial diagnosis, I had my regular I had my natural boobs Mm -hmm. until I finished chemo so I wasn't like at that point I wasn't really like messed up about like my sexual relationships um I was bald and that was kind of hard um but I still had these natural breasts my struggle with sex and my body image started once I had a mastectomy in reconstruction Mm -hmm. because I was just really ashamed at the way my body looked. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. It was hard to look at myself, much less let someone else look at it. And even though partners would say things like, it doesn't matter, you know, like it doesn't matter to me it's not a big deal da, 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 da. the look on their face when they would see it yeah was entirely different than the words that were coming out of their mouth and you know and your partners you know your partner's reaction so if something changes and i get it 
let's, I mean, first of all, that's a little bit of borderline gaslighting. You don't want that to happen. Um, Especially, like, I was reading an article on (laughs) AARP. It's not just for old folks, y'all. But, you know, they were saying, you know, don't expect sex immediately after treatment. Don't shower them with all these compliments because at the same time, it's like you're going through something not just physically, but psychologically. I think that's really where I struggled. Like, honestly, because everything I knew about cancer was from TV and movies. I thought that treatment was going to be physically hard. Okay. And that was never the case for me. And I realized that I'm really lucky in that regard. I think it's because I was otherwise young and really healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, So I never struggled with um, really bad side effects from chemo or anything. But I was not prepared for how emotionally hard cancer would be and it's crazy because it wasn't emotionally hard while it was happening wow it was emotionally hard after treatment stopped because this treatment team gets pulled away and during treatment you know like everybody supports you you know like they they want to do things for you and they want to check in on you and but then once treatment stops there's this idea that it's like just a thing that happens. Mm -hmm. But what people don't realize is that most people struggle the hardest after treatment, because when you're going through treatment, it's all about like the next steps. What do I need to do? So there's no time to process all these feelings, right? Not to mention you might have to go home and recover by yourself. Yeah. You don't always have that live in partner or, you know, that that communal support from friends and family. Because, again, as you said, they look at you different. They treat you a little bit more differently. And you don't want that energy around as you are trying yourself like already in this weird spot. Yeah. And that's when that's when it really becomes hard because everybody falls away after you're done with treatment because they think that you can just like get back to your life as it was before. But what nobody tells you is that that life that you knew before does not exist anymore. It's changed you in ways you can't even begin to imagine. And that's when it was really hard for me. I struggled really bad and silently with depression and PTSD because when I've always been in an exceptionally open book about things unless it makes me feel vulnerable or it hurts then I just like funny suit it so like from the outside nobody could really tell Mm -hmm. that I was struggling I was like that Cymbalta commercial you know where they like (laughs) hold the hold the like masks up and and on rare occasion I would like tell people that I was really struggling with depression almost every time I would be met with the most dismissive comment like at least you're alive or Uh. what do you mean so then it just forced me to silence to stay silent longer Yeah. Uh, about it you know um there were years I mean I struggled 
hard for a couple of years. And it's tricking my body. Yeah, it's tricking as someone who also suffers from anxiety and depression, where they say, "Well, you can't be depressed. You're always happy." What? What? Mm-hmm. You can be depressed to be the happiest person in the world. In the world, it's when you close that door, when you sign off from Instagram and other social media outlets, or even outlets like right here, right now, that you're yeah. trapped in your thoughts and you don't know what the fuck is going on. You don't know whether yeah. to cry, to laugh. So I can't even imagine. I'm sorry, not to cut you off, but had to make that point because. Depression is real. It is very real. And honestly, like, I didn't know that, like, I didn't even know that mental health was such a real thing until I started struggling with it. And, you know, I'm embarrassed to say that, I mean, I was in my late 30s before I knew that until I personally struggled with it. Don't be embarrassed, though. I heard of it. Yeah. You know, but I didn't know how real it really was. Let, well, until it started happening to me unfortunately we have to blame society for that because you know yeah. we have people that say well mental health is mental it's all in your head and it's not that's why we have October as not just breast cancer awareness mental health awareness um, yes. I believe it's also LGBTQ um, history month which I'm going to go into that next week there are so right. many like advocacies in one month that all can interweb together which is fucking crazy to me yeah i mean i think that like i think what would be really amazing for a change to be made within like cancer treatment and healthcare would be as soon as someone gets like a treatment plan that a therapist is boom automatically assigned to you Mm. because they need to be they need to be that is the mental health I mean like my health care was great like my doctors were great my oncologist was great my breast surgeons my plastic surgeons were great but the areas that got overlooked were my mental health and sexuality nobody talks about those parts and no one talks about and- how sexuality and mental health together you gotta love yourself before you give yourself we could say we could say it all the time like i have meaningless sex no sex has a certain meaning because you are giving yourself to somebody whether it's just for an hour 15 minutes 15 seconds you're still giving yourself to somebody you're putting yourself in a vulnerable position Mm -hmm. you're vulnerable as fuck coming on a platform showing life after surgery with no nipples busting Mm -hmm. it out for the world reclaiming your sexuality in the best way possible i don't know if i have that strength but i admire rachel i admire the fuck out of you because i myself am not comfortable in my body i I am not comfortable in my body at all i think that's really like what changed for me because i I had never really been super uncomfortable in my body. I loved my old body. 
and then these changes and then I once I started opening up about like feeling insecure and feeling embarrassed and ashamed and and not loving myself in my body that's when I started to realize that this wasn't just a me issue it wasn't a me issue it wasn't a breast cancer issue it is a overarching people issue and that's when I started to really be like oh shit advocating and putting it out there can really make a difference but while it was happening to me I couldn't do it it was too raw it was too vulnerable I didn't even want to talk about this shit with people I liked at that Mm. time much less strangers it's hard it's hard because people Listen, I've talked about it on the show before. 2020 really showed its ass on how people are. Okay, we already we just talked about mental health. Look at the spike of the amount of people, people like myself. I went back to therapy consistently. I go to therapy every Saturday and I've been doing it consistently for a year. With the exception of a fuck up last week, I had to go get a vinyl. That was my mental health day. I had to get a specific (laughs) vinyl that was very rare, and that was my therapy. But, you know, I go to therapy once a week for an hour. She's amazing and even gives me additional services if needed, you know? Yeah. And that's what we need. I feel like everybody, doesn't matter how happy you are, and I'm putting this in quotations, doesn't matter how successful you are, doesn't matter who you are, what you are, I think everybody needs a therapist. Everybody. I would agree with that a hundred percent. And I didn't, I didn't know that until I, you know, until I started struggling. And I, like I mentioned, I struggled, struggled silently for a couple of years. Mm. It wasn't until the real turning point for me was when I got involved with the young adult cancer community, because I didn't know that shit like that existed. Okay, um, you mentioned the breasties earlier, and I, I've i never done anything with the breasties because they're not local in my area, mm-hmm. but I have a lot of breast cancer friends in those regions who love the breasties. But I started getting involved with um, young adult cancer organizations, and to that was the turning point to me to, to, to have a group of people who were in my age range who had been through similar experiences. That was when I was like, Oh shit, I need to start. I can't keep living like this. Like I need to start seeing a therapist. I need to start working my stuff out. And there are so many things like that, that I didn't even know existed. Um, that aren't just breast cancer specific. There's an amazing organization called first descent, which provides free, like outdoor adventure trips. You said descent, descent, right? Yeah, First Descent. Okay. And they provide free outdoor adventure trips to the young adult cancer community. I have been with them. I went rock climbing. Wow. I've been rock climbing twice. Once in New York and once in Wyoming. Or once in Wisconsin. I went... um, I've done a couple local things with them. And I went kayaking in New Zealand with them. I Um, am so jealous. (laughs) 
It was incredible. Oh it was incredible. Gosh. Even though I walked away from my kayaking experience with uh, double black eyes, it was still worth it. It was incredible. And then there's um, a couple of breast cancer specific organizations casting for recovery, which has no age limit, which is really nice because, you know, some of these organizations are like 30 to 45, mm -hmm. but casting for recovery is broad. Um, and I did a fly fishing trip with them in Wyoming. It was incredible. I did not catch anything except for from the cheater pond. Um, <laughs> But I was not leaving there without a picture of, of me kissing a trout. <laughs> and also, waders look hella good on my body. Um, so that was really cool. Um, there's Stupid Cancer, which puts on CancerCon every year. And they're not, like, cancer-specific as far as, like, one singular type of cancer. Mm -hmm. Um there's boarding for breast cancer. I did a awesome snowboarding trip with them. Wow. Um, so there are just so many organizations that cater to specifically the young adult community because there's, there's just, it's different going through cancer as a young adult versus like an older 50s, 60s, 70 year old. It's, it's just different. It's different. You know, I, I'm as you're talking about this, I feel like I have to name the the episode Life After Breasts because yeah. there is a life after something is taken away from you. Not death yeah. per se, because you it, it sounds like you are living a thousand times over and over with these adventures, with this communal support that you have. That I think is oh. amazing. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean I would say that cancer really opened up a new prerogative of life for me. I would say that before cancer, I was very much a work to live, like a live to work person. Like I lived to work. I always had multiple jobs. I don't know what I needed to work all the time for, but I, I, I did that. Um, but now my life is very much, is very different. It's about advocacy, um, sex coaching, adventures, uh, cancer community. It's, it's um, I'm in the process, I say process, but it's a very long process. I'm trying to downsize my life and sell everything I own to become a digital nomad. Um, it's still probably at least a year away from me, but um, yeah, over it. I'm over it. Like, I, I'm looking I, forward to you chronicle, like doing the chronicles yeah. of this because yeah. I, I'm all for it. Hey, more power to you. I would love yeah. to roam nomadically. I mean, technically, radio is everywhere, podcasting is everywhere. Yes. Yes. You know, I've been having the freedom of working from home. I would love to, you know, be out in Wyoming and watching the sunset there and then wake up in Colorado the next day in Boulder mm -hmm. and whatnot. I, I, it is my dream, believe it or not, folks, it is my dream to travel in a van for a year. Now, my boyfriend is downstairs and he's going to probably be like, but you don't even like you don't like not taking showers. No, motherfucker. I'm going to find some nice places. 
get me a hot shower and be, you know, going rustic. I would love to do that. Even just for a year. I would love, love to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I am looking forward to that. I am so happy that we have crossed paths because, you know, you're, you're brought into people's lives for a reason. And I have learned so much from the interactions that I've had with you, not just on here, but on through, you know, social media, a pre-screening meeting that I had with you. I just feel really connected to you. And I want to say, you know, thank you for normalizing this because there is life after this. You're young. There you is. can do this. There is. And, and then, I mean, I think that, and that, that was really the changing point for me when, once I started to realize that like, there are so many women who were in my position struggling silently with depression and anxiety and PTSD and hating their body and hating and just like having a really hard time looking at themselves and not, not being able to move forward. That that was when I was like, whoa, I need to start sharing my story Yes, because because if I can help one person realize that there is life after cancer and there is life after losing your breasts and and being on this journey, then I'm here for it. Because for me, it would have made all the difference in the world. Absolutely. With that said, Rachel, where can people get in touch with you? Instagram is my jam. You can find me at lewd period and period loud i know i hate the periods but that's the way it hey, had to roll you're making a bold ass statement with that name so own it baby own yeah. it own it own yeah, it own it that's what it had to be roll so instagram is my jam that is the best way to connect with me we also i also host co-host a weekly clubhouse room on thursdays mornings at nine with a group of other sex coaches and it is a sex positive space for women and we are on every thursday at 9 a.m and yeah those are the ways to find me find me we, we talk about all kinds of shit yes. last week we were talking about periods and gangbangs i think yes yeah bring all yeah, the periods we, and gangbangs yeah, we Normalize talked about it. all kinds of random stuff. And like the week before, I think we talked about chastity cages. And we just, yeah, we talked about all kinds of stuff on there. See, lewd and loud. It was periods for a reason. There you go. Yeah. You got yeah. a bold statement behind you. Rachel, it yeah. was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. It was an honor. I know we're going to keep in touch. And listen, folks, again, you know, I usually don't ever bring back ear earbuds, you know, honorable earbuds this quickly. But you're going to get another talk with Rachel. Um, let me give you the guys the dates because you can mark it down on your motherfucking calendar because I am booked. I am booked solid until the end of this year. Um, you will be back on December 5th, and I'm excited to have nice. you back. Um, but next week, we also have another returning guest. Uh, Dr. Lulu is going to be coming back, um, and it's going to be great. We're going to talk about, like I said, LGBTQ um, IA History Month. I believe that that is what it is. Um, Dr. Lulu, she is our mom's tetrician and, you know, she is an advocate to helping parents, not just the youth, but she helps parents overcome, um, you know, 
when their child comes out. She helps the parents, you know, make their, you know, make it comfortable for their children coming out. So it's going to be amazing that, you know, we have all these different advocacies. My boyfriend just texted me and he was like, did I just hear something about a gangbang? Yes. Yes, the <laughs> fuck you did. It's been a while. It's been a while since we've had a nice, you know, gangbang ourselves. So, yes, we did yeah. just talk about a little gangbang session. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did. Yes, we did. Oh, I think it, uh, on Clubhouse, the theme has been kind of reoccurring all the time about sex clubs. And so, you know, it's just, it seems to find its way into our conversation almost every week. Listen, people were in quarantine and couldn't have the sexual interactions that they're having now, hopefully safely. Listen, I don't want to go back into a motherfucking lockdown. If you have not gotten vaccinated, Please, please reconsider getting vaccinated, okay? It's okay. Or just at least mask the fuck up. Know your surroundings. Know your fucking surroundings. It's okay to ask somebody, are you vaccinated? Did you get at least tested? You got to protect yourself. If you don't want someone entering you with positive test results, why would you want to hang out with somebody with a positive COVID Come right. on now. And I'm not judging. Right. I got I'm just vaccinated saying. as quick as I could. Same. Um, I'm not going to lie. Mine was because I wanted to go to Burning Man. <laughs> and um, that was going to be the stipulation. And I'm like, whatever. I'm here for it. I don't care. As soon Listen, as I can be, get it. be selfish, but be aware. Just be aware. You know, again. And you know what? I'm, I'm mad that I didn't grow a penis from the vaccine. I'm not going to be mad. I'm, I'm mad my titties. I'm Listen, I'm mad my titties and my ass didn't get bigger. My stomach got a little bit bigger. I got a little bit more chunkier. It's okay. But you know what? I'm healthy. I'm healthy, and mm-hmm. that's all that matters. I'm here to spread word with you guys every week, and I'm thankful to be alive. That's what we all need right. to be thankful for is that we are alive. We survived a pandemic, which is still going on, but we are taking smart steps to getting back to healthy so let's all yeah. just start getting healthier, okay? Yeah, negative sex, absolutely. Ne- negative STD, STI, negative, you know, herpes examinations. Can we please start normalizing if you do have a herpes diagnosis? It's okay. It's okay to be positive. It's okay. I'm I'm yeah. herpes positive, and you know what? I'm having the best sex of my life. Best sex yeah. of my life. We just need to start normalizing these things. They're not... They're not as taboo as you think. No, it's not the like, end all be all. No, it's not. It's not. And and like like we talked about a lot today in this episode, the power of modern medicine. There you have it, folks. With that said, I will catch y'all next week with another explosive ex- um, episode to close out. Of course, October, because, you know, I got to take my favorite day off, which is Halloween. Oh, yeah. So it's the yeah. final eargasm of October. And it's going to be great talking about National Coming Out Day, which just occurred. And, of course, coming out the right way, because there are right ways of coming out, including not forcing mm-hmm. folks to come out of the closet. It's so much more to come next week. Remember that safe sex is the best hot sex. Till next week. Good night. That was the show, all you sexy motherfuckers out there. Remember to follow at Ms. Radio Sapphire and Sapphire's Earplay on Instagram. Want some eargasms of the past and future? Make sure to follow on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and all streaming platforms.